So good morning, everybody. My name's Marsha. I'm one of the pastors here at Fifth. And this is the second week of our summer message series called Stories Old and New. The old stories are stories that we are looking at from the Old Testament, ancient stories of our faith. The new stories are the stories like Erica's that we are hearing about how God is still at work in our lives. And thank you um, for your faithfulness and your courage and sharing. And note to Jana, maybe those need to be after the service, or after the sermon, I should say. (laughs) All the uh, emotion that was already simmering is right there now. Um, But we praise God with you. We're also um, using the Jesus Storybook Bible this summer, partly because our kids are in worship with us. It's a very well-loved book. And for us as adults, it's kind of a, a new way, a fresh way of hearing familiar stories. Um, And I wanted to mention, too, that our preschool class is actually following the same stories each week. So if you see a kid with a craft in the hallway, ask them what they learned today and talk with them about it. So last week, we began by talking about how the Bible has this one overarching love story of God and how there's four major parts. There's creation, the fall, redemption, and then the new creation. And so last week... I preached about creation, and we talked about how God had created everything good, very good, and that there was shalom and peace, and that all of the relationships between God and the earth and humanity were all as they were intended to be. Today, we talk about the fall and how that shalom was broken. And so Abby is going to read the first part of that story for us now. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home, and everything was perfect, for a while, until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan. Stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Do not eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God had, God had knew that if they ate the fruit, they would think that they didn't need him, and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But, the, but God knew that there was no such thing with, uh, as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered up to Eve silently and said, Does God really love you? The servant whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't really want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into Eve's ears and sunk deep down into her heart like poison. Does God really love me, Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, and that's all. You'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. The terrible lie. 
God doesn't love you. This is the lie that Satan has been whispering into minds and hearts since the beginning of time. And this is the lie that keeps sin going strong in our world today still. God doesn't love you. It seems to me that often when we teach the story of the fall, we focus on the sin of Adam and Eve. But don't miss the role of Satan here. He is very manipulative. He knew exactly what he was doing. Notice that he's disguised in the form of a serpent, a creature that God had created good. And he accuses God of having twisted motives. He says to Eve, God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him. He's like insinuating that God is withholding something good from them. And so Eve starts to doubt. Does God really love me? Does he want me to be happy? If he did, why wouldn't he let me have this good thing? And so Satan succeeds in deceiving Eve, and the perfect loving relationship with God is broken. And friends, he is still whispering that lie into our minds and hearts today. We ask the same questions. Does God really love me? Doesn't he want me to be happy? If he did, then why is life so hard? Does he really know what's best for me? Can I really trust him? And so we start to protect ourselves and we grasp for power and take control over things to make sure that we can get our needs met. And when we live in this way and believe these lies, sin and brokenness just keep spreading. And the devil watches with glee as evil spreads out of control in the world. Friends, don't doubt for a second that Satan, the master of lies, is still hard at work in our world today. And he is not working alone. He has plenty of demons and evil spirits on his team. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In our faith tradition, we don't talk about spiritual warfare a lot. But I can tell you from my own life that it's very real. I've experienced it in different ways over the years, but a few years ago, we experienced it in our own home. We had taken in a refugee from the Middle East, And when she first came, she had terrible nightmares and what we assumed were hallucinations from PTSD. And she kept telling us, my my father is trying to curse me from home. I just know my father is trying to curse me. And she would just wake up so terrified. And as her English got stronger, she began to describe to us what was happening. And she would say, I'm not sleeping And there is something in my room, and she could describe in very great detail 
what this was. And so we began to go in to her room. Um, I would go in, and I can tell you that as soon as I entered her room, the hairs on my arm would stand up on end, and it felt very cold and oppressive in her room. And we came to realize that we were dealing with some kind of evil spirit. And so we prayed it away in the name of Jesus. And over and over, for about a month, we had to pray in the name of Jesus that this spirit would leave. I'll be honest, it it was freaky. It was a a time um, we prayed a lot over our own kids' rooms. We prayed protection for them. Um, Thankfully, they had no idea this was going on. They never experienced anything. Um, But it's real. And I have no doubt that the devil is hard at work in every brothel, every slave camp, every trafficking ring, and in every corrupt business and government office in this world. The sin and brokenness in our world is really overwhelming these days. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always know what to do with it. And so one way we deal with it is we just tune it out. It's too hard. Um, and honestly, that's a, that's a place of privilege because it means it's not affecting our everyday lives. Um, but we just kind of pretend it's not happening. Or we might just sink into despair. That's where I found myself this week. Um, it was one of those weeks where the darkness felt heavy. In fact, I didn't start writing this sermon until Wednesday because on Monday and Tuesday I just felt like, God, I, I don't know yet if I can get up and preach hope. Um, it was one of those weeks, as some of you know, my own family is dealing with the consequences of sin. Some weeks on the journey are harder than others, and this was a hard one. I have a really good friend who was supposed to be on vacation with his family this week, and instead he's starting chemo for stage 3 colorectal cancer. His kids are the same age as mine. And I'm just distraught at what's going on at our border. Um, Friends, I know that it's a very complicated situation. I know that it's easy to say that the violence in Central America is not our problem, but it's a fact that the appetite for drugs in America is part of what's keeping the gangs and the drug cartels in power. And in the midst of all of this, there are families that are fleeing for safety. We have a humanitarian crisis happening at our borders. And I know that it's very complicated. I know that nations have the right to secure their borders and that there are no easy fixes I get it. I really do. But in the midst of this, there are vulnerable families that are hurting. And the gospel of Jesus Christ makes clear that we are to care for the poor and the vulnerable. And that's only one thing happening in our world. And so today we are actually going to do something a little bit different. We are going to pause right now in the middle of the message, and we are going to pray prayers of lament. You may have noticed we didn't do the prayers of the people as we usually do before the offering. Praying in lament is not something that um, is done always so much in church anymore these days. 
And it's a practice that I think actually has a lot of power. To lament is to grieve and to cry out to God and to say, this world is hard and he can handle it. He can hear those things. And it's to ask him to intervene. We know that Jesus, the great high priest, is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding. But we are also the priesthood of believers. And so when we gather as a community on Sundays, we intercede on behalf of the world. And so I'm going to invite Jana up, and we are going to pray. And just since I'm already messing things up here, we're going to go really different. Jana and I are going to kneel. And we just invite you, if you feel so led, no pressure whatsoever, um, but we invite you to kneel in your pew as well. It's just a posture of coming before the Lord um, in humility as we cry out to him. pray. Holy God, we begin by praying the words of the psalmist, which says, listen to our words, Lord. Consider our laments. Hear our cries for help, our King and our God. This morning, Lord, we lay our requests before you, and we wait in expectation. We lament the ongoing anarchy and violence being brought upon Central America by gangs, drug cartels, and corrupt governments. We grieve with families who have to flee from their homes and loved ones in hopes of finding safety. How long, O Lord, will this evil reign? We beg you to bring your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lament the persecution of Christians around the world, and we grieve with those who are unjustly imprisoned and treated harshly because of their faith in you. We remember especially today Pastor Andrew Brunson, who has been imprisoned in Turkey for months with no sign of being released soon. Why, God, must your believers suffer for your name? We ask that you enact your justice and set the prisoners free. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, your creation is groaning and longing for its redemption too. It seems like natural disasters are becoming more frequent and more severe. We grieve today with the people of Guatemala who are still searching for loved ones and starting to rebuild homes and villages after the massive eruption of Mount Fuego. Lord, how can these beautiful people, most of whom are already impoverished, begin again? Give them strength and provide for their needs. Lord, in your mercy, 
Hear our prayer. Lord, we lament the deep divisions in our country right now. And we lament how quick we are to draw lines in the sand and to hurl attacks at one another. Instead of listening and calling on you. And while we heatedly argue about issues... We forget sometimes that these issues involve real people and real pain, and we confess the ways that we, knowingly or unknowingly, follow ideologies instead of your word. And we lament that we often stay silent in the face of sin and injustice. God, please convict us of our complacency. And in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we cry out on behalf of all the world's suffering children. Those who are starving because of drought and famine, children longing for a family, children who have been trafficked into lives of abuse and slavery. Palestinian children being held unjustly in Israeli prisons and children being separated from their parents at our very own border. Where are you in this darkness, God? Have mercy on these precious children and protect them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, Lord, we lift laments for our own church family to you. We pray for our own children who are struggling for many different reasons. We grieve especially today alongside parents who are watching their adult children struggle and even turn away from you, God. Bless these parents with wisdom and strength. God, we pray for those among us who would love to be parents, who are crying out to you with the longings of their hearts and wondering why you seem silent. Lord, be near them. We lament with those in our church family who are grieving. There are days that it feels impossible to keep going and the weight of the grief is so oppressive. Lord, we grieve with them. Bring your comfort, bring your peace. And Lord, we lament with those who are facing health challenges. We pray for those who battle chronic illnesses and pain. Give them strength for each new day. And today especially, Lord, we lift our dear brother Dick to you. 
Our hearts are so heavy at the news of his stroke. Be very near to him, Lord, and to his children in these uncertain days. And now, Lord, for just a moment, we silently come before you and lift the laments of each of our own hearts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand, and a deer darted in the thicket. It was as if something... It was as if there were something frightening and there was a chill in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked and wrong, and they didn't want anybody to see them, so they hid. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called out to them, Children! Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat, God asked. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done, God asked. Eve said, The serpent made me do it. And a terrible pain came into God's heart. His children, ha his children hadn't just broken one rule. They had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful rela relationship with him. And God knew that everything would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live like this forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will leave this garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. This is not a place for you anymore. But before they left, God made clothes for his children to cover them. To gently, he gently clothed them, and then he sent them on the long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. We've all heard the phrase, the devil made me do it. There's no doubt the devil played a big part in the story of the fall. But Adam and Eve were still responsible for their own actions and their own choices. And they chose to disobey God's commands for them. And once they sinned, shame entered the story. Last week, we had talked about how in the perfect creation, Adam and Eve were in close relationship with God, and they were so vulnerable and naked, and they did not even feel shame. They just totally trusted in his love. And now they are ashamed, and they are afraid. And so they hid. They hid from God. And they tried with fig leaves to cover up their vulnerability. Now, God finds them, of course, 
And so now they can no longer hide. So then they try blaming. Well, Adam says, Eve made me do it. And Eve says, well, the serpent made me do it. Unfortunately, it's not hard to see ourselves in that part of the story too, right? We all have done things that we feel ashamed of. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I feel like, okay, maybe the small sins, as if there is such a thing, that I can allow God to forgive those, right? But the bigger things that I would just rather keep hidden deep down. And so we do the same thing. We hide. We try to cover things up. We blame. And in the midst of it, Satan keeps whispering the lies and he twists it now and says, God can't possibly love you now after you've done that thing. Now I'm guessing at this point you're starting to think, this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard. And I'm very glad Josh is up the next few weeks. Um, (laughs) Talking about sin and shame is not easy. I get it. It wasn't easy wrestling with this all week. But when we understand the magnitude of our sin and the magnitude of the darkness, we better understand the magnitude of God's grace. See, here's the thing. We call this story the fall, but really, it's the first time we hear the gospel. God's heart was broken in all of this broken. He laments with us that things did not go the way they were supposed to go. And let's look at how he responded. He searches Adam and Eve out. He's saying, where are you? He goes to them. That is something that makes Christianity so different than really almost any other world religion. We believe that we have a God who comes to us even when we are in the dark, even when we are hiding. He searches us out. And God is very merciful here. He had told them, if you eat of this tree, you will certainly die. But they actually don't die. Not right now, at least. God insists on life for his children. And then, notice, he curses the serpent and he curses the ground, but he does not curse Adam and Eve. He tells them, yeah, things are going to be difficult now. There's some ways that this is, this is going to be harder because now brokenness is in the world, but he does not curse them. And then God, in his grace, removes them from the garden. This, to me, feels like kind of the classic parental tough love. God has to make a hard decision for their good. Because see, think about this. If they stayed in the garden and ate from the tree of life, they would live this way forever. With this brokenness, with this pain, and apart from God. And so he sends them out to protect them from that. And this, to me, is one of the most amazing parts of the story. Before he sends them out, He deals with what they cannot deal with themselves. He deals with their shame. Fig leaves aren't going to cut it. And so he sacrifices an animal and uses its skin to clothe them. 
This is the very first death. And it's the first time we see something that we call substitutionary atonement. That animal was innocent and ended up having to shed its blood and die because of the sin of Adam and Eve. This is the first glimpse we get of God's redemption plan. Well, in another story, it would all be over, and this would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew that they would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, he would let his children back. One day, he would make their world a perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And even though they would forget him and run away from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would always miss him and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you, and when I do, I'm going to battle against the snake. I will get rid of the sin and the darkness and the sadness that you let in here. I'm going to come back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. God says in Genesis 3.15, he's talking actually right now to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Of course, the offspring he's talking about is the coming Messiah. In the sin and suffering of the world, Satan is indeed striking the heel of Christ and of us. But in the agony of the cross, Jesus shed his blood and died to take away the sin of the entire world. He defeated death. He started restoring things already then, and he's continuing to restore things now. And he promised that someday when we get to that new creation, he will crush the head of that serpent once and for all. Friends, the pain of the world is overwhelming sometimes. And our own sin is overwhelming too. And it's okay and I think even good for us to acknowledge it and to lament it. But let's not despair. In the Psalms of Lament, we see that the psalmists cry out to God, but they always end on a note of hope. They choose hope, even in the midst of the darkness. So let's choose hope too. We live in a a world where a resurrection has happened. Jesus is alive. And he is very much still at work in our world and in and through us. We heard a story of that just today. Mr. Rogers once said, When I was a little boy and I would see sad things on the news, my mother would say to me, Look for the helpers. There's always people helping. And so on weeks when I'm feeling down, 
I look for the helpers. I see teens going to Puerto Rico to do hurricane relief work. I see refugees being welcomed to a new home. I see people working really hard to dismantle racism. I see Christians waking up from complacency and speaking out against injustice. I see believers like Erica stepping out in faith and sharing the good news of the gospel with their family and friends. I see the church bringing meals and coming over to rock fussy newborns to help tired mamas. I see people being set free from addictions and then helping others to find freedom too. Let's choose hope, friends. And let's choose to believe in the truth of God's promises instead of Satan's lies. I want to end today by reading this passage. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God, you are a good, good Father. And although today was heavy and we lamented the brokenness of our world, God, we do choose to put our hope in you. We know that you sent your son, that you sacrificed him to take away the sins of the world and that the promises that someday all will be made right again are true. God, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.